Okay, turn to the book of Acts, if you would. Are you ready to hear from the Lord this morning? Yes. Good. I trust that that's true. If you like titles for messages, you could, you could title this in your notes, The Prayers of a Growing Church. When I use the word church, I'm thinking more of the church universal than the local church. But I long to be part of a growing church in a generation to come. I mentioned it last night, and just for the sake of context, I'll say it again, that, that much of what we see in North America, and this would be across the board in evangelicalism, there are growing movements of evangelicalism in North America, but, but the number of adoptions as opposed to births is staggering. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, Christians are shuffling around. Right? So you've got the Harvest Bible Chapels. They're springing up all over North America. And you could look at that and say, wow. Right? But the, the number of adoptions, the Christians just moving from this local church to this local church, it's staggering compared to uh, the number of spiritual births. And so really across evangelicalism, um, we need a fresh work of God. And so much of what we have is a leftover of a work of God from before, which it's not discouraging to me because we have an omnipotent God. I'm looking forward to what the living God will do in a, in a coming day. Um, but I'm just trying to be honest and frank when I say we desperately need it. Um, so we're going to look at the prayers of a growing church. We'll begin in Acts chapter 1, and let's read uh, verse number 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer, that's unity in prayer, and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. All I want you to notice is simply that they continued in unity in prayer. There's an unmistakable connection between unity in prayer and the power of the Spirit of God. If you read the book of Acts, there's an unmistakable connection and we'll see that today. They're told to wait in Jerusalem. In fact, let's read it. Verse number 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, those of you that are Bible students, I think this is probably most of you in this room. Is he only referring to Pentecost? I mean, he is referring to Pentecost, absolutely. But is the power that he speaks of, is it a one-time falling of the Spirit for the church age that happened at Pentecost? I think it's going to be overwhelmingly clear that that's not true biblically. There's a power that's associated not just with the baptism of the Spirit, but that's associated with the filling of the Spirit. Um, here, not, not rhetorical. When is the last time, I assume that this has happened, I hope that this has happened, when's the last time that you had teaching on the Holy Spirit? Has it happened in the last five years? Ten years? Good. Good. Praise the Lord. That's, that's detail enough. Um, but boy, we have to understand these things, don't we? If we're going to relate properly. I mean, what is the, the sealing ministry of the Spirit, the, the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit that the Scripture talks about? Um, the illumination that the Spirit gives, the empowerment of the Spirit, all of these things. So he, he says here, wait for the Spirit. And he says, when the Spirit comes, you will receive power. 
Okay, so again, the question is, is, he, is, he, is that limited to the day of Pentecost? Well, I'm not going to answer that yet. I'm going to let the scripture answer that in just a bit here. So these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Every chapter of the book of Acts mentions prayer. Have you noticed that before? Every chapter of the book of Acts mentions prayer. It's an overwhelming theme of the, of the book of, of Acts. Um, so much of what you see, it's just bathed in prayer. And it's not like the Christians were saying, oh, well, we've been taught to pray. And, and um, you know, if we don't pray, then we're not going to see as much fruit. I mean, we better go and pray. You know, um, they're just thrilled about their new life in Christ. And they, they found the Messiah. And the church is just exploding. Now, of course, most of or a lot of that is they're going everywhere preaching the word because of persecution. But, okay, enough about that. Um, just notice that they were in unity in prayer. Verse number 24. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. So this will be the first prayer that we look at. Um, and I'll give it a title here in just a second. But I just want you to notice here, it says, They prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all. I find tremendous comfort in that. You, O Lord, who know my heart. You, O Lord, who know the hearts of every person. Right? He knows if you are longing for His will and for His agenda and for His glory. And if you're living for the day that you will look into His face and give an account and receive your eternal reward. He knows your heart. And you know one massive thing that I appreciate about our God? He knows our heart and He loves us. And He changes our hearts. I love that so much. I love that so much. I told you about the brother that came through Topeka, Kansas, and he spoke the rebuke against Israel for fruitlessness. And to a person in the assembly, I mean, I didn't interview all of them, but, but I stood around with the spiritual men in the assembly, and everyone knew, this was probably half the men in the assembly at the time, everyone knew that that message was directly from the living God um, to us. Well, the Lord sent another brother through four weeks later, and he didn't know what the Lord had said to us in the past month. But that brother came through, and he stood in our pulpit, and with tears coming down his face, he said, I think we're not out there telling them about Jesus Christ because we love ourselves more than we love them. And again, we all knew that, that um, this was God's message for us. I had to go and personally repent that day and ask the Lord to change me. I went to the Lord. We went corporately, too, and I'll never forget that prayer meeting. It was a beautiful time. I mean, it was painful uh, being rebuked by the Lord, but it was a beautiful time of repentance and confession and pressing on as an assembly. Well, I had to go individually to the Lord by myself, too, and say, Lord, I've just, I've just realized before you, I do not, I do not uh, feel about the lost the way that Jesus Christ does. I don't think about the lost the way that Jesus Christ does. He wept over the lost. In Luke chapter 19, I couldn't remember a time um, in the past 20 years, is that right? Yeah, when, when I had wept over, over the lost. Maybe it had happened, but I don't remember. And I basically, I just had to go as a child of a loving Heavenly Father and say, I am falling short of the glory of your Son. You have shown me this in your word. Please forgive me, first of all. And then, Lord, please change me. And give me the heart of Jesus Christ for the lost. Now, some people will identify that as the heart of evangelist. I, I don't think that that's actually technically accurate. 
Um, anybody that knows me well knows that I'm not a gifted evangelist. I admire those people. I benefit from those people. I thank the Lord for giving us those gifts. We need those gifts. But anybody that knows me knows that that's not me. I wasn't asking the Lord to add to my package of spiritual gifts that I was given at salvation. I was asking the Lord to change my heart to be like his son. And long story short, he did that. I'll tell you more about that as time goes on. But um, when we realize we are not like Jesus Christ, and when we go to a loving Heavenly Father and say, I'm not like your son, please change me to be like your son, do you think that that's a prayer that he's going to answer? Yeah. Praise the Lord, right? Boy, he knows the hearts of all. He loves us, even though he knows our hearts better than we do. Praise God. I couldn't help but say that. And then he changes us to be like his son. So you who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. So what's our, what's our context here? They're looking at um, Joseph called Barsabbas and Matthias. And they're looking for a replacement for Judas who by transgression fell. And so point number one in my outline as we look through the prayers of a growing church, the prayers of Acts, is the raising up of workers. Now, of course, it doesn't use that language. But from the lips of Jesus Christ himself, Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up workers and send them out into the harvest. It's a familiar command, right? Therefore pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up workers and send them out into the harvest. What we're seeing is the living out of that instruction by the Lord. They're praying. You couldn't help but think of, of Paul and Barnabas. What were the people in Antioch doing when the Spirit of God said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas? You remember? They were praying, right? Yeah, so they're praying, and the Spirit of God speaks to them. Isn't that beautiful? Is the Spirit of God willing to speak to you when you're praying? Now, this is rhetorical. I mean, you can shake your heads. You can do anything you want, say whatever you want. Um, I, it's such a beautiful thing, I think, that prayer is not simply a one-way conversation. It's not the same as talking to a refrigerator box. You're talking to an omnipotent, loving God. And I don't just mean that a refrigerator box doesn't hear you. I mean, I mean a refrigerator box has no ability to answer back. But the Lord does. He speaks to his people. It's such a joy. So they're praying. The Spirit of God says, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. And, um, and, and they obey. Well, here they're, they're praying. And they say, Lord, we have two people. We have Joseph called Barsabbas. And then we have Matthias. Which one of these would you want to raise up to function in this ministry? So it's a prayer for the raising up of a worker to carry the work of God. Verse 25, to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. Is what they're doing appropriate? Anytime you come across this passage, you have to deal with this issue, right? I just want to make two little comments. Um, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every direction is from the Lord. So this represents a time where the Lord did make his mind known through such things. 
And so I'll just throw that out there. And then the other thing that I would throw out as evidence is Acts chapter 6, verse number 12. It identifies Matthias as one of, quote, the 12, right? And so it seems that there's a stamp of approval um, on, on this action. Now, even more, in my mind, much more importantly than that, they're, at, they're living out the seeking of God for the raising up of workers to carry the work of God. I don't think the application is too hard to come by in this passage. Do we live in a day where we have to do this? Yeah. You know, the southwest of the United States has never seen a revival. Did you know that? There weren't that many people out there in the historical revivals of North America. I, forgive me, I don't remember the exact statistics, but if I remember right, Phoenix is, I think, the sixth largest city in the United States. I don't remember if that's exactly right. It's a massive city, over six million people. It's one of the faster growing cities. Has anybody been out there? Raise your hand if you've been out there to visit the little assembly. Nobody? One tiny little assembly. Palms Bible Chapel. Palm Springs Bible, Palms Bible Fellowship. That's what it is. Palms Bible Fellowship. They're precious. It's a precious group of saints. I had the privilege of being out there last spring, and I had a tremendous time with them. Six million people, over six million, in one tiny little assembly. And this is not criticism. The Lord knows my heart. This, I'm not criticizing. But they've been there for decades. And there's one tiny little assembly. Now, I don't know any of the history. I'm glad I don't know any of the history. What I'm saying is I would like to move forward in a coming generation. Would you like that? I was praying this morning. Um, I was praying this morning for this day and asking the Lord, what do you want me to say to your people? Asking the Lord again, is this, are these the, the messages that you want your people to hear today? And one thought just kept coming to my mind over and over and over again. And it was this, tell my people to go forward. I love that verse. Exodus chapter 14, verse 15. He basically, this is in my words, he basically says, what are you looking at me for? Right? He's talking to Moses. What are you looking at me for? Tell my people to go forward. There's a time to stand and look at the heavens, right? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But then there's a time where the Lord directs his people in the moving forward. And, and he says, why are you looking at me? Tell my people to go forward. And they go forward unto a great victory of God at the Red Sea, right? And then you keep reading through your Old Testament history and you get to Jericho and he says something that's overwhelmingly similar. Tell my people to go forward. Then you come to the New Testament in John chapter 18. You've got Jesus Christ in the garden. And when the soldiers came out to get Jesus Christ, what did he do? I love this. He went forward to meet them, right? Can you follow a man like that? I can follow a man like that. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. For night is coming when no man can work. I can follow a leader like that. He's committed. If Jesus Christ was here today, he would be overwhelmingly the most zealous, passionate man in this room. Do you believe that? It's a beautiful aspect of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Now, he'd be the most tender. He'd be the most willing to listen. He would give the perfect counsel. I mean, there's no end to the beauties of Jesus Christ. But boy, that's one thing I hugely admire. My soul is troubled, right? John chapter 12. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
Isn't that awesome to see the leadership of Jesus Christ? Tell my people to go forward. Oh, I, I long for this. The prayers of a growing church, the growth, the going forward of the people of God in a coming generation. I told you we have young people everywhere in the Midwest. They're all pairing up and getting married and having kids. And, and um, there's just young people everywhere. We could take, a um, hundred might be a little aggressive, but we could take 50, 70, 80, maybe a hundred couples from the Midwest and send them out to Arizona. And honestly, that would just be a nice start to what needs to happen. Um, I know some of you are somewhat familiar with New Jersey, right? Uh, once upon a time in New Jersey, there's an assembly on every street corner, right? Why? The people of God worked the ground. They developed the ground. They did the work, right? Boy, I, I'm scared of the idea that we will just hold on. The people of God, led by an omnipotent Savior, should not just be holding on. We should be going forward to the glory of Jesus Christ in a coming generation. Ah. Tell my people to go forward. So they're praying for the raising up of a worker. Do we need to pray this? Overwhelmingly, yes. Now let's think that through. Why do we need to pray this? How specifically do we need to pray this? Um, camp work. Now, I'm, some of this is uncomfortable for me, but I'm just going to say, I'm just going to throw these things out there um, just very straightforwardly. Um, camp work. Kids camps. There's a desperate need for people that can communicate to young people out there. For every, this is the part that's uncomfortable, for every um, camp that you're able to say, yes, I will come, you have to turn down 10. There's a massive need out there for people that can communicate. Now, when I say kids camps, <laughs> I am not one of the people that can communicate to, to young kids. Um, I take my month of speaking to our kids club in the fall, and I take my month of speaking to our kids club in the spring, and I, I pray and I think and I come up with object lessons. And I mean, I labor over these things, but almost every message, like I'm trying to be as much like Dave Bosworth as I can be and, um, and uh, animated, you know, and um, I've never seen you speak to kids. I can just imagine, you know, but, uh, and, and I'm up there and, and then I'll use this word and I'll look at these blank faces <laughs> and I'll think you have no idea what I'm saying, right? And then sometimes I'll, I'll say, this is what I mean, and I'll say another word, and they're just as blank as the first word. You know, they're all excited, <laughs> but they have no idea. Like, it's just such an effort for me to do that. But when you see somebody that is built by God to communicate uh, to young people the truths of Jesus Christ, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And there's a massive need out there for people that are willing to do the work. Now, again, I have only lived one life, and so forgive me if I'm using illustrations from my experience, but when I went and got a job, uh, I came out of Bible college, I had a bachelor's in biblical studies, I had a beautiful wife, a little baby, and a sign that said, we'll work for food. And I was looking for anything I could to support my family. And when I got my job, I mean, even in the interviewing process, um, I told them, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I have an appointment with Jesus Christ every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night for the rest of my life. Does that disqualify me from this job? And they would actually snicker. They would laugh, right? Why did you go to Bible college? What did you hope that that would do for you, right? 
I went to Bible college because it was what I was passionate about at the time. And the Lord, anyways, I'm not going to go into all that. But here I sat, right? And then finally, the, the company that did hire me, I negotiated before I ever started. Now, I know that this is unique. I know it is. This was a real privilege given from the Lord. But I said, can I negotiate being paid less and having 10 weeks of unpaid vacation a year? Now, I know that that's unique. I know it is. It was a gift from the Lord. But they went, they talked about it, all the rest, and they came back and said, yes. So I had a tiny little um, base salary, a commission incentive, and I had tons of flexibility to serve the Lord. And the only reason that I'm saying this is um, however the Lord leads you in your unique circumstances, it is so worth it to seek the Lord. It is so worth it to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and watch all these things be added unto you. And what I'm saying is we need a generation of people. We need to pray that the Lord will raise up a generation that will carry the work of God for kids camps, that will carry the work of God for family camps. That's actually my favorite camp these days, family camps. I love family camps. It's like an assembly on retreat or multiple assemblies on retreat. And I just love the opportunity to spend those weeks with the Lord's people. Um, Pray for the raising up of workers for family camps, for high school camps. Um, Again, I'm just going to be forthright. Have you ever sat at a high school camp um, and watched a brother with a good heart, but who's really not built by God to communicate to high schoolers? Have you ever seen that? It happens, right? And just very simply put, not everybody is built by God to communicate on that level. But we need to pray the raising up of workers to win our high schoolers' hearts for Jesus Christ. Right? Boy, I hope you say amen to that in your heart. I'm going to assume you're screaming on the inside. Um, uh, Youth camps, uh, 15 years old up to 25 years old. uh, Raising up of workers. Um, Conferences, same thing. Uh, Pray for the raising up. And I'm not trying to give everlasting life to our conference circuit. I don't mean that. But what I mean is the Lord has used these things in great ways. And we need to pray for the raising up of workers. How about evangelistic workers? This is something we have to address. Maybe on a local level you've addressed this long ago. But on a continental level, we have to address this. We're okay with sending people to Spain and supporting them to be in one location, reaching out with the gospel, laboring in a local assembly. But as a movement, we've not been okay supporting people to do that in the United States. We desperately need this generation to be reached. We need to support the workers here. We need to support the evangelistic workers. Pray for the raising up of workers here. Support them not necessarily to go halfway around the globe, but half an hour down the road to work in that community and break up the ground and plant the seed and that difficult work of planting and plowing and and all the rest of it. Um, Next May, I have the privilege of going to the Ontario Workers and Elders Conference, and I have a plan in my head. Um, I'm still praying about it, asking the Lord about it, but this is my plan. I I plan to walk in during one of the sessions the Lord gives me with a five-gallon bucket half full of water. And I want to walk up to the front and then put my bucket down, and then I want to have a Barbie fishing pole. Have you ever seen those? They fold in half, a little bobber. And I want to fold it out and then hold it over my bucket with just water in it, and then hit the button and drop the bobber down into the water and then, and then just sit there and watch the bobber 
until it gets very uncomfortable. And then I want to start saying things like, well, at least I'm fishing. Well, at least I did my job. And I'm still thinking through exactly what to do. But my whole point will be basically to ask the question, what does the Lord think of the way that we're fishing? Now, I'm not going to spend any more time on that in this assembly. By the way, I've talked about this assembly all over North America since last January. And I don't say that to puff any, anybody up. But when I think of this assembly, I think of the soccer ministry, the door-to-door ministry, uh, the Bible studies, right? Praise God. Like when I think of this assembly, um, what I'm describing is not characteristic. But I still share it with joy for this purpose, especially the young people. No, I know this will be everybody, but especially the young people. Somebody has to figure out how to reach the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody has to be so burdened before the Lord that you give up the parties, the social life. I don't mean worldly parties. I mean the social get-togethers. And you go home and you get on your knees in your closet and you just begin to cry out to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to this closet whenever I can until you show me the key to reaching the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Once upon a time, a brother went to a circus. I hope you know all this history. A brother went to a circus and he sat there and he looked around. I mean, he had a good time, but he looked around and he thought, Everybody in town is sitting in this tent. And then he thought, if I buy a tent and set it up, this is how they would do it in their day. You tell the postman, and the postman, as he went around delivering mail, would tell everybody in town, we're going to have meetings on Thursday night on the south side of town. You'll see the big white tent. Everybody's invited. That's the way they communicated back in the day. So this brother goes to the circus. He thinks, hmm, if I buy a tent, I think everybody will come. He goes back. He tells the Christians, I'm thinking and praying about buying a tent and setting it up. Then everybody would come and we can preach the gospel. Were the Christians for it or against it? Those of you that have read this history. They were against it. Why? You're using worldly things. Circus, right? Awe, amusement, not thinking. They were against it. Now, I don't know any more details. I don't know if he prayed about it. I don't know if there's any conflict. I have no idea. What I do know is that he bought a tent. And he set it up and he told the postman and he went around. And the first night they had about a third of the community. Second night they had a half of the community. And it built over a period of weeks and they saw revival sweep that little community. And after that period of time in that community, the Lord burdened them for the community 10 miles down the road. So they folded up their tent and they went down there. And eventually they reached North America in those tents. And so what I'm saying is somebody, we need to pray for the raising up of the next generation of workers that will ask the Lord, show us the tent of our day. I thank the Lord for that Baptist church in the Atlanta, Georgia area that's making those movies. Do you know that group? Like Facing the Giants, right? Uh, Flywheel. Boy, I thank the Lord for that group. Um, and I don't know much about them, but I appreciate that they're out there in that venue Topeka, Kansas has 150,000 people. Those 150,000 people buy 750,000 movie tickets a year. If you're asking the Lord, well, take a step back. If you're burdened about the loss the way that Jesus Christ is, then that will drive you to your knees. If you're asking the Lord, how do we reach them? That will eventually make you ask, where are they? If you're asking, where are they? You're going to come up with a limited number of answers. They're, on, they're in school. They're in the workplace. They're in movie theaters. Now, maybe there's more answers to that, right? 
But at least that's a, a massive start. We still have the freedom to go into the school system and have Bible clubs. You have that freedom here, don't you? Yeah, praise the Lord. It's not going to last forever, right? It's not going to last forever. But there's an open door right now. Workplace, we must go to work on a Monday morning after having prayed to the Lord that he'll use us. We must go to work knowing from Colossians 3, I serve the Lord Christ. Now, how you serve the Lord Christ in the workplace, that's a whole topic unto itself. But we must have that attitude. Movie theaters. What I'm saying is just a simple living out of this principle. We, we have to pray for the raising up of evangelistic workers to reach the next generation. Oh, it would be such a joy to see the Lord send 60 couples out to the southwest of the United States. That would be such a massive joy to see them go out there, maybe in threes or maybe in fours, right? Little core groups sent out to do the work of God. Ah. Lord, help us. Uh, finally, the raising up of elders for a future generation. Um, we need shepherds. Badly, we need shepherds. Praise the Lord for the shepherds that are here. Uh, one of the most encouraging things in my life is spiritual leaders that will lead spiritually. I love that when I see that. It's such an encouragement when I see that. The raising up of elders, the raising up of elders' wives, women that won't be selfish with their husbands, but will love them, support them, free them up to do the work that God has, that had, God has set before them. Raising up of the next generation of workers, missionaries. I'm not going to say more about it than that, but you get the idea. It's all this simple principle. We see it lived out right here, but it's from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. Um, the raising up of a worker to take the place of someone who fell. Now, I haven't actually even said anything about that, that part of it um, yet. And please let me just say this one thing. When someone falls, God forbid, um, God forbid, literally, when someone in your life falls, say a godly man, a figurehead, when he falls, please, I beg of you, let it make you hate sin. Let it drive you to Christ and away from sin. It's happening all over. I hope it doesn't touch, well, I, I earnestly hope it doesn't touch this group. I hope it doesn't touch South Florida. But if and when this happens, boy, let it make you hate sin. I went to camp a year early when I was, I think, eight years old, maybe seven. I got to go a year early because my mom was a cook. And um, I went down to camp. And I remember my two counselors were Craig and Steve. I know them to this day. Craig's a big, tall guy. He's a basketball player. Steve's a little bitty, little bitty guy, but uh, he's super athletic. And Craig would stick his hand straight up in the air. And Steve would run up to him on the ball field. And he could jump. It was crazy how high he could jump. He would jump way up in the air, do a full 360 in the air, and then give Craig a high five. And to a seven-year-old boy, I just was like, oh. <laughs> I, thought, I thought these guys were amazing. Now, there was another guy there that week, and I remember his name. I, I remember his face. I remember all of it. Um, and I remember that because uh, a few years later, I was at a junior high camp at the same Bible camp, and, and I was asking about these guys. And... Um, and I wish they wouldn't have told me. I don't know why they told me this, these details. But they told me what this guy, um, that he had gone, not my two counselors, but this other guy that I looked up to so highly, he had gone off into the world. 
And they actually described in detail the sin that he was involved in. And I still remember that. Right? Boy, we should be careful about such things. But I remember the discouragement of it. Right? I remember thinking, oh, like how could he do that? And I remember, now I would say this so differently today than I said it then. But as a junior high boy, I remember saying to myself, no one is ever going to say that about me. Now today, I know myself way better than I did as a junior high boy. Today I would say, Lord, please, by your grace, please make it so that no one would ever say that about me. Right? You mature as you go along. But it's the same heart, right? Uh, I hate the works of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. So when we see people of God fall, like in this passage, boy, let it make you hate sin and hate the consequences of sin. So prayer for the raising up of workers. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 4. This will be prayer number 2. Acts chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse number 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. In the margin of my Bible next to this verse in pencil, I have written, it's coming. And then I was looking at this a little while back. And I was no longer satisfied with that phrase, it's coming. And so next to that, I wrote, it's here. And I think you know this. I don't think that this is a brand new bombshell or anything. But persecution is here. Now, of course, uh, right, it's hard to say persecution is here without, without stating the fact that our persecution is so radically, utterly different than the persecution of our brothers and sisters around the globe, Right? The persecution of our brothers and sisters in India, the persecution of our brothers and sisters in Syria, while, while politicians in the United States argue over which side to send help to, which side to buy guns for, the Christians are slaughtered by both. Uh, people in China, um, the, our brothers and sisters in China that are being beaten and starved in prisons for for translating for pastors. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on. Like, our persecution is radically different. But it is real persecution. Do you know the name Kirk Cameron? I don't know every detail, right? But have you heard that Facebook banned his page? He made a movie, right? And again, I don't even know what the movie's about, but I know it's for the purpose of the gospel. He works with Ray Comfort. He's given himself, he's given his life, his name, all of that for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they made a movie with that purpose. Facebook banned it. Why? Hate speech. It's here, right? It's here. Now, it's very different, right? Our kind of persecution, um, you don't get the promotion. And, and you know, now no one would ever say it, right? You couldn't prove it in court, but you know why you didn't get it and why that person did get it the political correctness, all the rest of it. I have an article back home. Um, there's a boy in Houston, Texas, sat in a class in his public high school, and he sat there quietly. Finally, the teacher called on him and said, what do you think? They're talking about homosexuality. And so he didn't even say what he thought. He gave the biblical position, and then he said, I agree with what Jesus Christ has said. 
And they immediately took him, marched him down to the principal's office and expelled him for three days. I have the article, right? Now, I know that's very different than persecution in other parts of the world, but it is persecution. There's a, na- a man named Christopher Hukeri. Do you know that name? Okay, there's a lot of people in Wichita that know him. Um, I have like six friends that know him personally. Uh, he comes over to work on his Bible translation. He's an Eastern Indian gentleman. He'll come over, work on his Bible translations. He, he um, translation, singular. He'll travel amongst the little assemblies in Iowa and try to be a help. A couple of years back, he flew from India to Chicago, land of the free, home of the brave. He shows up at our border, and they say, why are you coming into our country? And, and he says, well, I'm, I come here, I work on my Bible translation, and I travel amongst these little churches and try to be a help and a blessing. You know what they said to him? I think this is amazing. This was so shocking to me the first time I heard it. They said, we're no longer a Christian nation. You're not allowed to come in here and do that. And they turned him around and put him on the plane, and they flew him back, right? Now, I don't know him personally, but I wouldn't even tell the story if I didn't have all these friends. Like one of the elders at Westside Bible Chapel in Wichita knows him personally, I could keep going. Um, it's here. This, what we're reading about, is here. They, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Did anybody see the video on Facebook of the people that were arrested in Grand Rapids for handing out the Gospel of John? Did anybody see that? I saw it on Facebook. These people, they had a, they had a cell phone with a camera, right? And they said, okay, watch this. We are going to give out a copy of the Gospel of John in downtown Grand Rapids on a public sidewalk, and we're going to see how long it takes the police to get here. And so, and so they did it. It took the police three minutes to get there, and they were arrested in downtown Grand Rapids, right? They were outside of a Muslim festival. The year before they were in the festival, they said, you can't do that. So they respected that. They were outside, separated on a public sidewalk, and they arrested them. They have the whole thing on, on tape. Society is changing so quickly. Um, it's not just coming, it's, it's here. We are going to live these things. They commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now notice the determination, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You see that determination? Isn't that good? Now, very frankly, I don't know if you need this encouragement or not, but I very much want to encourage you to determine today, I am going to stand with Jesus Christ. Whatever that means, for the rest of my life, by God's grace, I am going to stand with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not looking for fights, and I'm certainly not going to go look for fights at all. But I've told my wife a couple times um, I just want to enjoy the time we have. And it would not overly surprise me to end up in prison in my lifetime for teaching this book. I taught the book of Romans to the Good News on the Move team five or six years. It's all out there, right? I mean, what he has said about these hot-button issues in society, they're drawing the net as quickly as they can. They're drawing the net and making it illegal to say what this says. It just wouldn't surprise me if that ends up happening. And we're seeing it happen right in front of our eyes. So we are going to live these things. And I just encourage you, determine what they determined. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now, let's go right down the line here to verse 24. So in the face of persecution, it says, So when they heard that, 
They raised their voice to God. So their response to persecution was prayer. With one accord, that's unity in prayer, and said, Lord, that's a term for absolute master, a little used term in the New Testament. You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, just for sake of time, go ahead and go uh, forward to verse number 29. This is the heart of their prayer. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Look on their threats. In the light, in, in the, excuse me, in the face of persecution, they don't even pray specifically about the persecution. They simply, like little children, just lift up to a loving Heavenly Father the current situation. Lord, look on their threats. I love the almost innocent, childlike faith. Um, I just love the look on their threats. Right? They're just committing it to a God who created everything, who's currently upholding all things by the word of His power. They're just, they're just turning it over to Him. Look on their threats. And then He says, Grant, they say, Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Point number two in my outline is boldness. When I read through this, that's what I, that's what I see as the heart of their prayer, prayer. Look on their threats. Their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now I want to notice several things about this. Notice that they did not pray for safety. You notice that? They say you can tell a lot about a man when he's going through a trial if he prays, Lord, take the trial away. Or if he prays, Lord, strengthen my back that I might glorify you in this trial. So they say, look on their threats. But then they say, grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, for such a heart in the people of God. I love, I love that prayer. They're praying for fearlessness in the face of, of persecution. And they're looking to the Lord for it. 530 million people that need to be reached. How many people are in Fort Lauderdale? Or the area? Are we in Fort Lauderdale? Oh, yeah. Good. Good. So that's the same size as our city back home. 150,000 people. Good. Praise the Lord. Um, I do not expect, n nor do I even pray for, um, a burden, a general burden amongst the people of God for 530 million souls in North America. I don't expect that. I don't pray for that. The Lord will burden people for what He wants them to do. I do not expect that people will have the same burdens. It wouldn't be healthy if the Lord did that. Um, I would like to ask you corporately to be applied individually if you have a burden for your community, the 150,000 people. And do you have a vision? Now that's such a brutally, poorly used word at times. You almost have to explain it. Vision is not being creative. It's not thinking of some wonderful creative strategy. Vision is thinking how he thinks and seeing how he sees. Do you have a vision for your, your city? Now that's just an open-ended question. I'm not even suggesting that you need to have a vision for your city. All of this is simply leading up to this question, which I think is hugely important. And so as a representative of Jesus Christ, a mouthpiece this morning of Jesus Christ, the second member of the Godhead, I pray that the Spirit of God sears this on your minds and hearts, this question. What is your geography? 
This could be applied corporately as well as individually. Every person in here, I pray that the Spirit of God would so, in, so use this that, that you would have to, by compelling, have to apply it individually. And then if the Lord leads you to, to apply this corporately, praise the Lord. What is your geography? Well, let's talk about it corporately just for a moment. Uh, St. Catharines, Ontario, a group of men, again, I hope you know these stories, a group of men two generations ago, they got together. There's just, I think it was five of them, if I remember right. These are godly men. Many of them are with the Lord, not all of them. Um, and they got a map of St. Catharines, Ontario. They spread it out, and they just prayed for, for hours. And then they got up, they looked at the map, and then they looked at each other, and they said, how many burrows do you see? And each one of them saw the same thing, five. And so before the Lord, they prayed again, and they said, Lord, we see five burrows. And they just spent this day crying out to the Lord, Lord, by your grace, help us, empower us, lead us, guide us, so that we can reach this city. And at the end of our lifetimes, there'll be five healthy vibrant testimonies for the Lord Jesus, one in each of these boroughs. That's what I mean by vision, right? Not being creative. I mean, not against creativity, but when I'm using that term vision, what I mean is seeing how he sees, feeling how he feels. What's the opposite of feeling how he feels? Anybody know? Apathy. Do we struggle from apathy? What is that word? Apathy. Not to feel. If you don't feel how he feels, that's apathy. Boy, that was striking to me not long ago. It's such a simple concept. But I just thought, wow, that's what I repented of a couple years back. Apathy toward the lost. So on a corporate level, um, what is your geography? And I would encourage conservative as opposed to aggressive like start small well let's move on to individually it's easier to apply it um, have you ever gone to the 10 houses around your house with the gospel now for some of you I hope so right but if you never have what's your geography I'm not don't take my suggestion I'm saying ask the living God what is my geography maybe it's the workplace where the Lord has put you Maybe it's the 10 homes immediately around yours and you can, with your family, get on your knees and say, we're going to pray for these families that the Lord will prepare the soil and then we're going to bake brownies and we're going to go over at Christmas time and we're going to have a gospel CD, a little gift and brownies and we're just going to introduce ourselves and say simply, Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. This message, I can say that about any tract, this message changed my life because it's the message of the gospel. This message totally changed my life, and so I like to give this to people. And then you just, just, we live right over there. We just wanted to say hi and give this to you. Maybe that's your geography, right? Simple enough. Maybe you would bite off a little bigger chunk, and you'd have a year plan or a two-year plan. Maybe corporately, you'd ask the Lord, what's our geography? And then you'd look at a map and say, and say where else does there need to be an assembly in this community? 150,000 people. What if we just prayed for 1%? 1,500 people, right? I said it yesterday. I'll, oh, I don't remember when I said it. I said it sometime. Um, I live with what I think is a healthy fear that we'll just be sitting in the exact same place having seen nothing for the Lord 10 or 20 years from now. 
The Lord rebukes fruitlessness. We should expect, there is a biblical expectation of fruitfulness. Abide in the vine and you will bear much fruit, right? He rebukes Israel for not bringing forth the fruit that they were intended. Why are we grafted in? Because they're set aside. They're rejected for a time, right? The Lord's not done with them, biblically. That'll be a good day to see that restoration. Praise the Lord. But this is our day, according to that book, to be fruitful for Jesus Christ. Look on their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. So what is your geography? Please, between you and Jesus Christ, please don't forget that. Ask the Lord, what is my geography? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to reach? Um, Start small and let the Lord grow it. I love that verse. The hunger of a man drives him on. I love that. If you start big and fail, then you might just retreat, right? And never do it again. Do something manageable. Ask the Lord to direct you. And then just work away. And then if the Lord expands it, praise the Lord. So they pray for great boldness. Now, this gets more exciting as you go through this prayer. Look on on their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. Notice it's not a boldness that's not founded on anything. It's a boldness that's founded on the omnipotence of the living God. There's a confidence, right? Because the living God is moving amongst his people. This is a radical time in history. The Lord is making his power obvious amongst the people. Well, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Well, how did he come in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, describing Acts chapter 18? How did Paul come? Demonstration of what? The spirit and of power, right? Power. There should be a power that's associated with the spirit of God. The world is mocking right now. The world laughs at us. And I'm not saying this because woe is me or I'm not even saying it very frankly. It doesn't even affect me personally. I'm not saying it because I'm personally offended. But the world is laughing at the followers of Jesus Christ. There's so little power amongst us, which I've come to the conclusion that it's our fault, that we've gotten so used to grieving and quenching the spirit of God, to resisting the spirit of God, that, we've, that we don't even recognize it as a continental bride anymore. In fact, we we resist the thought of it at times. We've gotten so used to that that there's so little power amongst us that the world does not have to say, this is the hand of God. Do you remember Pharaoh's counselors saying that? This is the hand of God. Boy, I pray the Lord would save me. Having saved my soul from the lake of fire, I earnestly pray that the Lord will save me from a life that I could pull off myself. I long for a life that could only explain, be explained by the splendor and majesty of the living God. Power. By stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Is the Lord still stretching out his hand to heal today? Is he? Yeah. I'm guessing that you've seen this. I hope that you see this. I mean recently, right? Not like 50 years ago. Praise God for the stories from 50 years ago. But I hope you're seeing this regularly. We have trophies of God's grace. I mean, we're all trophies with different testimonies. But man, we've got these 
We have three redeemed homosexual ladies in fellowship in the assembly in Topeka, Kansas. One of them um, went through seminary, was ordained, was an ordained minister in the Metropolitan Community Church. Are you familiar with that denomination? It's a homosexual denomination all over North America. I don't know if it extends beyond that. Um, But she had the entire eastern seaboard. She had your territory. She had the entire eastern seaboard under her authority. This was a powerful woman. The first time I ever talked with her, we debated for hours. I think it was probably three or four hours. The validity of John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know? She came to us a number of years back, and uh, she had her Bible. I can still picture this. And, and she smiled, and she said, um, I've realized that my argument is with the Lord, not with you guys. And she wasn't a believer yet. But then she started studying this book, and she started humbly approaching these passages, and then she started saying, that says exactly what those people are saying. And she was very honest, like, that's very offensive to me, she'd say. But then she realized she's arguing with the living God who wrote this book. And little by little, the Lord used this book to humble her, to convict her of her sin, to realize that salvation is, is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, and, and led her to the place where she knew to as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, to as many as believe on his name that it's that simple salvation is in a person and if she would take that person if she would take christ believe on him put her faith her trust in christ take him then she'd be saved and she was gloriously saved i couldn't believe it when we received her into fellowship in the assembly um we stood up after breaking her bread here she sits right we stood up and we received her into fellowship and then we all just sat there in silence i couldn't believe it you know I wanted so bad, and I won't do it because I have a mic on, but I wanted so bad to stand up and just go, whoa! I mean, this is, an amazing, this is an amazing thing that our God has done. Sometimes we need to do that, by the way, right? The whole frozen chosen thing. I mean, that just it needs... Sometimes, like, you just need to cheer, right? Are you going to cheer in heaven? I'm going to cheer in heaven, right? I mean, these things are... This is life, Right? So the Lord is still healing people. We have another lady in the assembly who sat at our dining room table probably 10 years ago. And she, after lunch, she said, can I tell a story? And we said, please. And she said, I grew up and I fell in love with my high school sweetheart. I married him 20 years and three kids into that relationship. He fell in love with someone else and he left. Broke her heart. So she goes a number of years and then five, I think it was five years later, if I remember right. Um, she met husband number two, fell in love, quote unquote, with him, married him. Five years into that marriage, he falls in love, quote-unquote, with someone else and leaves her. Broke her heart a second time. She goes into what people refer to as an alternative lifestyle, right? She's looking for love, searching for love and acceptance, right? And she, she left out most of the details, but she talked about the Lord using His Word to draw her back and, and, and little by little brought her to the point where she recognized God's simple plan of salvation, She believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and was gloriously saved. Instantly just walked away from a sinful lifestyle. I mean, it was hard, but it was instant. And then she sat there with tears coming down her face. And I'll never forget this little phrase. She said, crying and smiling, she said, I finally met a man who loves me. 
<laughs> Isn't that awesome? The Lord is still stretching out His hand to heal. I could keep going and keep going. I was on my knees with one of our elders in his spare bedroom. And, and this guy, he's the biggest guy in our assembly. If you ever come to visit, his shoulders are like, you know, that's exaggerating. But, but he's just a, he's a big, huge guy. And um, here he sits on his knees in his spare bedroom next to the bed. And he begins to cry. And he says, Lord, I don't know how you could use me. But would you please use me to reach someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And two weeks later, a young guy named Jeff comes up to him at work and says, you know, people in this company make fun of you. And Bruce, big old guy, smiles. He said, I know. So they make fun of you because you won't let them hang up certain kinds of posters on the, on the trailer wall. I know. They make, they make fun of you because you won't let them steal even a nail from another trade. You make them drive across town to get stuff from our own shop. He says, I know. And then this guy, Jeff, you could come meet him in our assembly. He says, I'm sick of sin. Can you help me find God? They go out and they have lunch. He didn't get saved that day. He pointed him to an evangelistic Bible study. I probably told this story here. Two months later, he gets saved. He goes home and leads his own wife to Jesus Christ. It's Jeff and Ashley. They have four kids now that they're raising to be disciples of the Lord. I mean, he's still stretching out his hand to heal. All the stories are out there. They're just waiting to happen. And you've got a God that is so infinitely willing to use us. Isn't that amazing? I sat on a plane next to a lady, and I had taken a little living waters. Have you seen those, the Gospel of John? I got it from Colorado. I had it in my bag. And before I got on the plane, I, I said, Lord, please, let me, by your grace, let me give this to somebody. You know? And I, I'm telling you, just very frankly, I'm an evangelistic chicken. Um, I, 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 um, it's hard for me. I make myself do it. I do make myself do it. And I have learned, right, um, and grown. But it's hard for me. So I prayed. Um, and so I'm sitting there in, in, in the, on the airplane, and this lady's next to me. We get our drinks, um, and she has a ginger ale, and it's perched like this, right? And uh, I'm sitting there smiling, thinking she's going to spill that thing on me. <laughs> and uh, 10 minutes into the flight, she did. She spilled it all over my dress shirt and my jeans. It ran down in my seat, under my leg, you know. Like, it was just all over me. And I sat there just smiling, thinking this is what I prayed for right? And, uh, and so I, I offered the gospel of John to this lady. What is she going to say, right? Keep, your, keep it to yourself. No, she's, oh, thank you so much, you know. She, Are you a minister? You know, like, oh, that's why you're so kind, you know. And um, anyways, we had this great little chat, you know. And she said, she said, you know, I do own a Bible, but I've never read it. And I said, well, you, if you read that, I guarantee you, you'll be blessed. And she said, you know, that would be a good idea. Anyways, I don't know if she's read it or not, but I'm praying that she'll read it. It's amazing that the Lord can use people like me in, in evangelism. I love it that he's willing to use me, and he's willing to meet me in my weakness. So stretch out your hand to heal. That's a biblical prayer. Now I'm going to go ahead and make this. No, no, no. Okay, let's keep going. Keep going. Verse 30. By stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. That's a physical manifestation of spiritual power. Does the Lord still do this? He does sometimes. Quite frankly, I'm open to the Lord doing this this morning. If he, if he knows that he wants to. Is he capable of doing this? Yeah, sure he is. Now what I pray for is not the physical shaking of this building. What I pray for is the shaking of the souls in North America. 
the salvation of souls. Spiritual is infinitely more important than physical. This is just a physical manifestation of the spiritual power that exists in God. When they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to talk about this week. This weekend. It's beyond the scope of what we're going to discuss. But I beg of you, um, I don't know when the last time you've done this or how accurately you're, you're understanding these things, but this is homework. It's like the whole Christian life. It's voluntary. You can do it if you want. Um, I beg of you to read the book of Acts. Look at every instance of the filling of the Spirit and try to understand it for what it is. I don't mean anything mystical. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're commanded, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, controlled by an outside substance. I think we have so academized, that's not a real word, but I think you know what I mean, intellectualized, uh, we have so whittled the thought of the filling of the Spirit down. Oh, it's a parallel passage, Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 4. You know, it's the same as reading your Bible. Oh, there's so much more to it than that. And, and here, they pray for boldness. What they get is the filling of the Spirit. And then a result of the filling of the Spirit is they speak the word with boldness. Right? Oh, we need this. We need a power, now I'm getting ahead of myself, but we need a power that we do not currently display. Now, I'm not even going to ask you to agree or disagree with that verbally, but please, I beg of you to think it through. We need a power that we do not currently display in the church. If we're going to accomplish that which is set before us to accomplish in a coming generation, we need what this is describing. Um, look at verse 32. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. That's unity. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. That's the opposite of selfishness and covetousness. But they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I asked the question earlier, is the power that is talked about in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, is it limited to the day of Pentecost? And resoundingly, I just would like to say no. It's associated here with the filling of the Spirit. We need a power that we do not currently display. This is one thing I'm just crying out to the Lord for. I don't pretend to understand it in total, um, but I see it. It's, it's, it's right there. The Lord is still doing amazing things. Um, Spanish wells in the Bahamas. Um, half mile by mile and a half. I think most of you are probably familiar, right? You have people in fellowship from Spanish wells here. Um, have you heard what the Lord did last March? We were talking about this the other day. Have you heard about the revival? You can shake your heads or... Have you heard about it? Okay, okay. some of you are saying yes, some no. Um, the whole process was amazing. The first time my family ever went there three years ago, the parents were very concerned about their kids, and they saw their kids drifting. They were very concerned about that. Um, they were praying about it. I can remember. They were praying about it, concerned about it. They were trying to ask the Lord. The youth group had gone from 100 kids down to 25 they were all younger kids. It wasn't cool to come to spiritual things anymore. They didn't know all the details. Um, they decided to have gospel meetings. Joe Reese, about a year and a half ago, it was June. Joe, um, I couldn't wait. We prayed for him the whole time he was there. I was just longing for the Lord to break through. And um, 
I saw Joe in West Virginia at a family camp in August, and I just, as soon as I got the chance, I went up to him and said, I've been dying to ask you this. How did the meetings go on Spanish Wells? And he said, he just shook his head. He said, it's like preaching like this. He said, I kept trying. And he said, it's not like people weren't praying. Like the men, they were coming out in the morning, 20, 25 men on their faces, crying out to the Lord in prayer to break through and win this young generation. The women had their prayer meeting, crying out to the Lord. These are their kids that they're wanting to win for Christ on the island. It's a small island, 1,300 people. But he said, you could feel the spiritual warfare. There are all kinds of details that I'm not going to go into for sake of time. But, but um, no breakthrough. No breakthrough. So I had the privilege of going down about a year ago. Now, this is just my feeble perspective. All I get to see is my eyes, right? I'm, I know that there's much more than what I saw, but I'm just going to tell you what I saw. The Lord, this was hard for me. The Lord, I knew going down there a year ago exactly what the Lord wanted me to share. And I just kept praying um, about it the whole time I was there. And it took a month. You speak about five times a week. It took a month to say this out, systematically just lay this out. But my basic message to them was this. You're not seeing anything in your gospel work, and the Lord is not answering your prayers because there's sin in the assembly that you refuse to deal with. And until you deal with the sin in the assembly, you're not going to see that which you're asking for. Tuesday night, the night before we flew out Wednesday morning, um, this was such an overwhelming joy to me. Not just the saints repented, but the elders. They stood before the Lord and they confessed the sins of the people. And again, it's publicly known sin, like the materialism, the covetousness, the preoccupation with their own agenda as opposed to Christ's agenda. They're a blessed people financially, right? And they confessed the fact that they had used the blessing for their purposes rather than God's purposes. They just stood before the Lord and confessed the sins of the people. Boy, I was excited for them. They decided to have gospel meetings. This whole thing is so amazing looking back. Uh, they decided to have gospel meetings in March. I knew in a general way they were going to have gospel meetings. Paul Bramson came out and spoke at our conference in Topeka, and he mentioned that sometime Nate was going to be down there doing gospel meetings. So anyways, on a Wednesday, we gave out the prayer request in our assembly, please pray for revival on Spanish Wells. Now, I didn't know that was night number one of the gospel meetings. They were going to have three gospel meetings, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so it was so, and that's about all we said, please pray for revival on Spanish Wells. So we're all sitting here in our prayer meeting, right? You've got this whiteboard, and it's got probably 15 items on it. And one by one, people stood and prayed before the Lord, and, and every item was prayed for, like normal. I mean, we try to always make sure, bear one another's burdens in love, right? So every item was prayed for, but to my recollection, every man that stood that night in our prayer meeting prayed for revival on Spanish Wells. If you watch carefully, you can see what the Spirit of God is doing in people's lives. Well, the Spirit of God was moving and, and moving us to pray, right, for this. So Wednesday night, 120 people roughly. Thursday night, 150 people on the ball field. The adults were in the grandstands and in their buggies, the um, golf carts around the ball field. Uh, Friday night, they said 100% chance of rain. Now, I'm just going to tell you what, what the email said. Um, Nate said in his email... Paul Bramson forwarded it to me. He said in his email, he said, when they said 100% chance of rain, I knew that there was 100% chance that it was not going to rain that night and that the, the, the power of God was going to go out and the Lord was going to work. Now, how did he know that? I don't know, right? But he said it in his email. He said he knew. 
When I read about revivals uh, in church history, they say these things all the time. Over and over they say these things. The Spirit of God is perfectly capable of communicating what He wants to communicate. Anytime He wants to communicate it. So, Friday night, um, he said on the last word of his last message, he literally said his last word of the Friday night message, all the electric power went out on the island, and, and a mighty rushing wind came in off the ocean. And then he calls the young people. He had just been charging them, don't you mess around with the living God. But he called them. He said, if you need to be saved tonight, come forward. And he said, if, you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, but you've been living like the devil, I'm not, I'm not using his exact words, but he charged them to repent. And he said, if you need to repent today, come forward. 120-some young people came forward that night. They stood around weeping in groups on the ball field, having repented, having just gotten saved. 60 to 70 put their faith in the Lord Jesus for the first time. I can't wait to get back to Spanish Wells to see these people. They had a baptism Saturday night where they started around, it was either 5 or 5.30. They were still baptizing people on the beach in the ocean after 10 o'clock. You give your testimony, then you get baptized. It was a movement of the living God. The first thing I did when I heard this, right, I heard this boom. The first thing I did was call an elder. Now, forgive me if this is wrong. Lord, forgive me if this is wrong. But I wanted to check it out, right? No just youthful enthusiasm. No being swept up in emotion. I mean, is this really a movement of the Spirit of God? So I called an elder, and I said, tell me what happened. And this is what he told me. I called another elder. I said, tell me what happened. And this is what he told me. I wrote another elder, and I said, please, tell me what happened. And this is what he told me. So, And I've since talked to numerous brothers in the oversight there, as well as saints. And this was a movement of the living God. The Lord is still doing these things. He's still shaking communities for the glory of his name. Now, there was no physical shaking. Who cares, right? He won a generation on that island for the glory of his son. This is all I'm asking for. Compared to the omnipotence of the living God, is it any harder for him to reach our island than it is to reach their island? No. Isn't that a joy? It's not any harder. He's done it before. He's reached this continent before, twice, in major sweeping revival. Can he do that again? Sure he can. Boy, I pray that the Lord will lead us to, to be a people of prayer that call out to him in, in these ways. Okay, um, go to Acts chapter 9. I'm not going to dissect a whole other prayer. I just want to look at this prayer. I want to give you two little applications. We've been sitting here talking. I want to give you two little applications, and then we're going to be done. This is the conversion of Saul into, the, into the, who would become the Apostle Paul. And I just want to give you two little phrases from this prayer. Verse 5. I will do four for context. Then he fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That must have been a shock, huh? And then verse 5. He said, that's Paul said, who are you, Lord? I encourage you, and I mean this literally, I encourage you to pray this to the Lord. You personally, as a child of God, say to the Lord, who are you? There's so much more to know about the Lord than we know so far. Are you enjoying Jesus Christ than you, more than you've ever enjoyed Him before in your life? There's no downhill in the Christian life unless you choose it. Spiritually, you never, you never age, right? The path of the righteous is as the noonday sun growing ever brighter. Isn't that a good verse? 
You go uphill all the way to glory, and then you graduate. I watched my dad do this. Praise God. He grew more in the last 10 years of his life than he ever did before. Praise God, praise God, praise God. So I encourage you to say, who are you, Lord? And then let's keep going. He, the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's, that's application number two. So say, who are you? And then, and then, Lord, what do you want me to do? This is my encouragement for you to pray to the Lord. And you know my expectation? And I mean all this literally. This is not just a message. It's a, it's a, it's a time in the Word of God with a purpose. And this is the purpose, that you will say to the Lord, what do you want me to do? And I expect fully that what he says to you will be very, very simple. What he said to Paul, arise and go into the city, and then you will be told what you must do, right? Paul's life of incredible usefulness to the Lord and his life of this incredible story, right? It all started with this simple act of get up, go into the city. And Paul did it, right? The Lord moved my brother Todd from fellowship in Topeka, Kansas to Ottawa, Kansas a number of months ago. He was spending time on a Saturday before the Lord. He came to me the next day and he said, I'm pretty sure the Lord just moved me. He went through all, all the things you should do, right? The umbrella of authority. He went to the elders. He met with them. He prayed with them. I mean, he thought about it, prayed about it. He was very slow, very guarded, cautious, right? But the Lord just moved him. A life of incredible usefulness to God begins with a simple act of obedience. Get up, go into the city. So please, just ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? And maybe he'll say, I want you to go talk to your neighbor tonight, right? That's all, that's all I want. Or maybe he'll say, I want you to pray for your neighbor every day for the next 30 days. And then, and then on day 31, go talk to them about my son, right? Just say, what do you want me to do? And, and that's the whole application. Um, they saw incredible things done for the Lord. There's an obvious connection with prayer. Uh, let's take our break. Father, we just want to commit this whole discussion to you. You're such a worthy God. You're such an amazing God. You are, you are the great ambition of life. You are our portion. Father, if, if we sit here so incredibly blessed, I have a wife that I love, I have children that I love, uh, I have a home that I live in that is a nicer home than I have ever expected to live in in my life. Um, we could just keep going with blessings. But comparatively, Lord, if you took Jesus Christ away from us, we would have nothing. Father, every good thing that we have in our life, literally every good thing is something we don't deserve. Father, we thank you so much for your overwhelming grace and Lord, I know I already said it, but you're the great ambition. You are so worth chasing after, hungering for. Father, we think of the psalmist, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And we just lift this group up to you. We lift ourselves up to you. We lift the bride of Christ in North America up to you. Father, we, we cry out with your people of old. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Father, please lead us. Lord, in a sense, we want to be like Jacob, clinging to you, saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. Father, we long, we long to see the mighty right arm of God bared on behalf of your, the glory of your name in a coming generation. We so desperately need a fresh work of God in our day. We have nowhere else to go. There's no other source of power. That which is set before us to do, we cannot do apart from, from you. 
And so we just call out to you. Father, we pray that you please give us help in understanding your word. We pray that you would just guide us on, even during this fellowship time. We just yield ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray these things. Amen.